Welcome to I'm Fine, You, brought to you by Maybelline New York, where we are normalizing the conversation around anxiety, depression, and mental health. Now here's your host, Chrissy Rutherford. Hello, and welcome to I'm Fine, You, presented by Maybelline New York. Maybelline's Brave Together initiative is dedicated to breaking the stigma around anxiety and depression while addressing challenges and providing resources to those in need. Hi, I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and on this podcast, we're channeling this mission into real-life conversations to help normalize talking about our mental health and provide tangible resources and guidance to anyone who might be struggling or who knows someone that is. Today, I am so happy to be joined by the legendary Allie Raceman. Allie is a retired gymnast and two-time Olympian. She was a member of 2012's Fierce Five and 2016's Final Five U.S. women's teams. Allie is also an author and a mental health advocate, and she returns to the show now to talk all about the connection between societal standards of body image and mental health and so much more. Allie, welcome back to the show. We are so happy to have you again. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited and honored to be back. So when you joined us last season, we talked a lot about the connection between community and how it's helped you Mm -hmm. in your mental health journey. Now, it's a year later. Tell me, how are you now and what's your mental health journey been like? Yeah, I feel like when I reflect on the last year, I think I've learned a lot about myself. I think one of the biggest realizations I've had is I kind of let go of this idea that maybe one day I'll feel really happy all the time or one Mm. day everything's going to be fine. Yeah. I think that has really helped me realizing that there are going to be days where I wake up and I'm just going to feel blah or I'm going to feel anxious and I might not know why. And I think taking it day by day and being able to tell myself, okay, this is just a tough day. One tough day or one tough morning doesn't mean I'm going to feel like this forever. And so I feel like I've had a lot of different therapy over the last year that's really helped me kind of just learn, still learning, not Mm -hmm. there yet, but just learning to be okay with feeling off or learning to be okay not being in control or not having all the answers that I want. And I think being on that journey, although it's really challenging, it's been also really helpful. So I think what's been very impactful for me is realizing I don't have a destination. It's kind of just taking it day by day and being okay that some days I'm just going to feel more maybe irritated or more stressed than other days. And that's just normal and part of life. Maybe it's the perfectionist in me before where I just (laughs) wanted to figure every single thing out or not want to feel stressed. But Yeah, just becoming okay with that and normalizing that, I think, in my own mind. Yeah. Sounds like you're practicing self-compassion. Trying to. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I think it's a huge part. We're often so much harder on ourselves than we are on other people. So I'm just trying to really focus on how I talk to myself. Mm -hmm. And I think also we, for those of us who have been in an environment as a child where maybe we were around an adult who was not as kind to us as they should have been or as supportive. I also learned sometimes we can pick up on how they used to talk to us and do Mm -hmm. it to ourselves. So sometimes I find myself stopping and I'm like, whose voice is that? Because it's such a great not mine. It's someone else's in my past. So I'm learning to also kind of reframe those thoughts too. Totally. Without being a perfectionist and being like, those thoughts might never go away in some extent, you know, because we have so many thoughts and we can't 
control every yes and so just learning that if I have it it doesn't mean it's true it doesn't mean I have to give into it yeah you can just kind of let it be and that's so much easier said than done absolutely and I can really relate to the perfectionist tendencies and I think I'm someone who's also very committed to mental health and working on myself and I feel that I can relate to that frustration of like, okay, well, I've been in therapy for this many years. Shouldn't I have this all figured out now? Shouldn't it just be easier? And shouldn't everything, yeah, mm -hmm. now just be like, my life should be happy every day. But that's just not how we're built as humans. No, I, I it's, it's <laughs> very, it's, I agree with you. It's so hard. But I also have found that I've been through so many different therapists in the last, I don't even know, like many, many years. And I've learned that there's, it's so funny. I always say this, but I think the more that I get older, the more I believe it. I always like joke that it's like finding a therapist is also like dating. Like you have to oh, like completely. Go sometimes <laughs> date a bunch of people to find the right person. Yeah. Some people, they find the right person when they're younger. Everyone's different. But I think for me, it's just like the more that I do therapy, the more that I realize, I guess, similar to dating is like sometimes you date someone, you're like, this person was amazing for this point in my life. And I'm so Absolutely. grateful for them. There's nothing bad to say about them. They're just not right for me as I'm growing or getting older. And it's kind of the same I found in therapy where I sometimes have a therapist where I see them for a year or a couple years and they've been very helpful. And then I kind of feel like I also might outgrow that therapist or need a different type of therapy. And that's also been helpful is being okay with switching therapists or different types of therapy depending yep. on where I am in my life. Totally. I can completely relate to that. I'm the same exact way. I think I've been in therapy for a little over 20 years on and off. And I've seen at this point probably seven or eight different therapists. Mm -hmm. I'm actually about to start with a new therapist next week. That. And I'm really excited. I but that. I feel that all the time. Yeah, you work with someone for a few years and your understanding of yourself and what you need just changes and evolves. And then you're like, yeah, this has been great, but actually I need someone who's going to be able to take me to the next level in my healing journey. Totally. I actually just started with, so I restarted with a therapist I had seen last summer. So I guess about a little over a year ago, I was trying to do really intense PTSD and trauma mm. therapy. And I just started it last that's, year. It's hard. And it really made me so much worse. Mm -hmm. And they say sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. Yep. I just wasn't in a place to do it. And so I just restarted that. And I actually feel like hopefully I am right with how I feel, but I feel like I'm in a better place to do it. Yeah. But I also think that we kind of have to listen to our bodies. And at the time, I was just really struggling and it just really made me feel a lot worse. It brought up a lot of stuff. And so I took some time and saw a different therapist, worked with that therapist for a bit. And then I went back to this therapist and I feel like I've learned a lot. We're communicating and we're not starting at a memory or something that's like a 10 out of 10 yeah. traumatizing. But <laughs> I didn't realize until I started seeing actually both these therapists and I don't see them both at the same time. I did one at a time, but mm -hmm. until I met both of them, how much maybe it's for me because I've experienced trauma and I have PTSD. It's like how much I actually like avoid certain things. And mm -hmm. I had other therapists years prior who weren't trauma or PTSD, maybe specific. And mm -hmm. they would be like, well, if you don't want to go to this 
I'm just using this as an example. Yeah. It's I don't have trauma with a certain coffee shop, but just as right. like she's like, <laughs> if you don't want to go to that certain coffee shop because that makes you uncomfortable, don't, don't. do it. Right. But now my ther- my therapist now is like. I understand that, but you're actually, then your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And so I learned like, even when I'm avoiding reading a book that has sexual assault in it or mm-hmm. watching a movie Maybe. and those things at those times, I don't regret it because I needed to do it. Yeah. But then you kind of, I got to this point where I'm like, I didn't realize how many things I was avoiding in my life to mm. not feel triggered where, which in return then I felt triggered all the time because you're always on alert. So yeah. we're working on slowly going through with those things. And it's very almost freeing. And I'm actually almost looking forward to it because I'm like, I can't imagine how much more relaxed and less tired I'll feel not trying to avoid things. But I think it's so interesting because I think that's why it's so important for us to do the therapy that actually is what we need to work on. And again, I think a few years ago, I wasn't ready. Even a year ago, I wasn't mm-hmm. ready to do it. So you have to listen to your body. But sometimes I had therapists that were very well-intentioned that were like, well, if this person reminds you of this person that hurt you, don't see them. And my therapist now would say, well, that's not the same person. So right. you know, you can't avoid everything in your you life. Can't. And yeah. so I think it's a fine line and a balance where you have to listen to yourself. And you know, I actually just read a book, finished it yesterday. And this was a huge moment for me. And I think we have to take those moments of being proud of ourselves and recognizing how far we've come where Mm -hmm. I'd say probably for most of my life, I haven't been able to like anything that has anything to do with domestic violence or sexual Mm -hmm. assault. I don't like anything to do with that. And I actually Mm -hmm. was able to read a book and I was able to read it. And there was a lot of sexual assault scenes in it and I didn't have any nightmares or anything. And I was like so proud of myself because I would have never been able to do that. And that was just a moment where I was like, wow, I have come really far. And so I think it's important to take those moments. And for other people, you know, it might not seem like a big deal, but unfortunately, I'm sure there are survivors of abuse who are listening to this because unfortunately it's so common and maybe they can relate or maybe they have another trigger that they were able to get through. But it is those small wins, which actually I would argue are big wins. Pretty I think big it's wins. important to yeah. take those moments and appreciate how far that we've come because in therapy, we're doing it. However you do, I do it once a week. You don't always notice those changes. And then when it's that big of a thing, it's exciting. And I think it just, it gives me hope that it will get better with more time. Yeah. So yeah. That's really incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I try to try to be honest. <laughs> I feel like unfortunately what I've learned is a lot more people I think than we all realize can relate to going through something hard. So yeah. I'm always blown away by how many people like I'll be at a wedding and there's several people that come up to me and share their stories of being survivors of abuse. So I think it's just so common and yeah. I think it's important that we normalize it. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what we're here to do. I also wanted to ask though, do mm-hmm. you get anxious about leaving a therapist? Because I feel like so many people, mm. I get this question a lot about how to leave a therapist mm. because it does, especially when you've worked with them for a really long time, it's such an intimate relationship that you're like, how do I break up with my therapist? Yeah, that's such an interesting question. And I totally understand that. So my last therapist, so it's really interesting I'll continue to be with being super open, but okay. So I guess I always thought OCD and I'm not an expert. I'm just sharing what my Mm -hmm. therapists have explained to me based on my diagnosis is how is that even, is that a word (laughs) Um, based off of that? So it's really interesting. I always thought OCD was 
if you had to like turn off the light a certain amount of times or yeah. you have to you have to do something a certain amount of times. Yeah. But I also realized from my OCD therapist is that it's also replaying. Like, for example, sometimes after I do an interview, I'm thinking of this one sentence that I said and I'm like, what if somebody misunderstands it? What if I said the wrong thing? What mm-hmm. if I triggered someone that yeah. is listening to this? Just different things are like, For me, I have a lot of social anxiety where if I meet someone new, I'm like, well, did they like me? And I didn't realize that's also a form of OCD of like obsessively worrying about it and kind of feeling out of control. And so I did that after the PTSD and trauma therapy last year. It wasn't the right time for me. Mm -hmm. The therapist and I together realized that maybe it was better to start with some of that worrying and the social anxiety stuff Mm -hmm. and do that. And then I did that. And then my therapist and I together realized that a lot of the stuff coming up was more PTSD, not as much OCD. Right. And we also felt like if I helped with the PTSD underlying, then the OCD would get better. Yeah. So both of those times, it was like a mutual decision. And right. I also feel like it's so hard. And I know it's easier said than done. But at the end of the day, the therapist should 100% want what's best for Completely. The patient or I don't know the right word to however to say, you know, the client, however they think about it. And I think, you know, I've had one experience where one wasn't okay with it, but I found her to be now that I know more and have better boundaries from doing more therapy, (laughs) incredibly inappropriate and unprofessional Uh. and had a really hard time with letting me go, which now I realize is not appropriate. Yeah. And it's interesting because the therapists that have been so supportive, like this one that is helping me with PTSD treatment. I went back to her because she was so understanding and in fact was like, I'm going to help you. I'll help you find someone that I think will help you in this stage. Yeah. And then the therapist that I saw that now helped me go back to this therapist, we kind of had that conversation together. But I also think I'm 29 and I'm getting a lot better with just communicating and it's very hard, but I also think that if anyone's out there and the therapist is giving them a hard time, that's inappropriate. Yep, I And agree. I think it's when it's so personal too, it's really hard to see things, like nothing is black or white, but I think that when it's that personal of a relationship, as you mentioned, same with doctor's appointments. Like yeah. I've had doctors kind of be weird if I want to switch and I'm like, this is not appropriate. Like you're, you're right. trying to feel comfortable and safe and it's important to find a doctor or a therapist or somebody that helps you Mm -hmm. and if you don't even they could be amazing to 10 people but if you don't feel it's the right fit it's not the right fit yeah we don't have to explain ourselves and so I think it's really easier said than done but I think it's the therapist it's really important for them to be supportive and I also really appreciate there's been times where therapists have helped me find other therapists. And I really appreciate that because you do spend so much time with them and they probably know other people. And if they can't help you, that's totally fine. But they definitely, in my opinion, should be supportive. And hopefully, sometimes I think, in my opinion, the best therapists are the ones that are like, it sounds like we've sort of graduated everything I can help you with. Mm -hmm. And I think this type of therapy would be better for you, which I get, you know, sometimes there's probably for some that are inappropriate, you know, if you're paying them, they might not do that, which is like, that's not right of them, but it is, it's definitely hard. And I think as I've gotten older, I'm trying to have better boundaries and just communicate better, but I know it can be tough and can be awkward. Yeah. 
I definitely had a positive experience with my last switch where I had been working with my therapist for I think going on like five years. And similarly, I was like, I actually think I'm ready to really start trauma therapy. And he was like, Mm. I agree. I think that's the right next Mm. step for you. So although he was my favorite therapist, so it was very sad to leave him. But (laughs) Wow. So this will be hopefully a a big transformative next couple of years for us. Absolutely. That's awesome. So also when we talk about mental health, I think routines are so important, right? What are some of the things Mm -hmm. that you do every day to help support your mental health? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so funny because I was talking about this with my therapist that was really focused on the perfectionist OCD side of stuff. Mm -hmm. And she was saying that it's important for me to have a routine, but then not to be obsessed with the routine. Yes. Where if... (laughs) Like, she's like, just be careful. Don't be like, every morning at 10 a.m. I have to do this because if you do it at 10.30 or you just don't do it that day, you have to also be okay Okay. with that. Mm -hmm. And so she, we've had that balance because in gymnastics, I was such a perfectionist and did the same thing all the time. And I was even a little (laughs) bit superstitious where when I was younger, I definitely had more OCD. I can remember when I was like 10 being like, okay, if I touch this light or I wear this many hair elastics, like I'll compete better. And there was just no conversation or awareness around it. Yeah. Sometimes when I go into gyms now, it's like I can see some kids with OCD or you can see them like doing stuff. And I'm like, oh, I just, I was like that too. And I wish there was just more awareness where I think so many people might not even know what it is. And again, I'm just saying, similar to what I went through. I'm not like diagnosing them and I'm not an expert in any way. I'm just like, oh, I used to, I used to do that. And it's like heartbreaking because it's so, it's like so not a good place in your head to be like, if you're like, okay, if I wore this leotard last week and I had a great workout, so I'm going to do it again. It's just not, for me, at least it wasn't healthy. So I think it's the balance for me of having a routine, doing things to feel good, but then also allowing myself to be flexible and being like, what can I do in this moment to just help me feel better? And I Mm -hmm. think I've done a much better job of that lately where I'm trying to rely less on other people to make me feel better and more Mm. relying on myself, which has been the biggest thing. Like if I was a couple years ago, if I was upset about something, I'd call like three people. And if no one answered, I was like, (laughs) I don't know what to do with myself. I'm freaking out. Where now I feel like I have better tools where – I can just sort of like, I'll put on like a guided meditation Mm -hmm. on my phone. I'll stretch a little bit. I'll maybe if I'm home, take Milo, my dog to the dog park. There's certain things that I try to do to just relax. And even just sometimes just like taking in a deep breath and then a very, very long exhale for me. And I just try to do that over and over again. And then it's like awkward because I'm with if I'm with someone else or a stranger will be like, are you sick? Are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm like, okay, well now I'm self-conscious doing that. But I try to just take moments or pockets wherever I am. If I'm traveling, if I'm on an airplane or in the car, just like relaxing. And it is funny though. I found the more that I try to take care of myself, the more other people come over and ask me what I'm doing. And I'm like, I just want this moment for myself. Like the other day I was in the backseat of a car and, and someone was like, are you going to be sick. And I was like, no, I thought I was just doing my like breathing exercises. <laughs> so it's very, or if I'm just like at the or maybe airport. they were, they thought you were like trying to like yeah. calm yourself down. So you didn't like throw yeah. up or something yeah, in the car. Yeah. I was just like, it was just so interesting. Or if I'm like <laughs> sitting somewhere reading, I just find, I don't know if people are used to people just like on their own. I, I have no idea, Yeah, but it's very interesting where sometimes people will be like, oh, I saw you sitting alone. So I'm going to, I'm like, no, I wanted to be alone, be alone. but thank you. <laughs> so I'm just trying to be more comfortable 
being alone and but you're like, but why is everyone yes, pointing out that I'm alone? Yes, yeah, I so um but some of the things I do, I love gardening, but now it's becoming oh. closer to winter oh, yeah, in Boston. So. But I love it. I've been doing more stretching and yoga, walking helps me feel relaxed. Love I feel like walk. also me too. I think walking on an incline on the treadmill, I can like feel myself relaxing. Mm. That's pretty much most of my workout that I do. And I don't do that every single day. I really try to take care of myself and listen to my body and depending on how I feel. And then writing in a journal, reading. Um, I might have already mentioned reading. I'm um, taking a bath, which I just like very relaxing. Yes. Listening to just calming music. Also, and then just giving myself room to also maybe my therapist would say this isn't a good idea, but sometimes it's just okay. I think if you're stressed, just let yourself have fun and not think about everything all the time mm-hmm. is having a is a good balance of working on yourself, but then just allowing yourself to just relax too. Yes. I wish yes. I had the answers, but I'm still figuring yeah. it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think it goes back to the perfectionist tendencies, mm-hmm. right? I find that too, which is also why I really like taking a break from therapy. Like I was mm-hmm. on a 14-month break. So wow. it's just really nice to actually let myself live and just mm-hmm. be and know that I have the answers inside myself yeah. and I know how to manage my emotions and feelings. And yeah, I think it helps to restore trust mm. in myself that like, okay. I've I've got this. I love that. That's something I've really worked on and struggled with over the years is trusting my gut. Mm. And I think also I with cell phones and social media, it's so hard to, at least for me, I shouldn't generalize, but I think sometimes it's so hard for me to be like, what feels right for me? Because there's so many different opinions and so many people. And I think it's such a balance between listening to what other people think is right, because obviously I want to be open to other people's perspectives and opinions, but then also being like, well, what really feels like it aligns with me and my values? So I think that's really, it's very hard. And I've also learned as I've gotten older that we have friends for different reasons. I have some friends that Mm -hmm. are really good at giving advice. Yeah. I have some friends that I just don't (laughs) go to them for certain things, but we have fun together and that's great. But I've also learned there are certain people that certain friends that I can just call and talk to them about anything. And then yeah. there's others where I'm just like, you just made me feel worse. So I'm not going to talk to you anymore. <laughs> I even think though, we, yeah, we all like, have those friends. Yes. Yeah. Like you love them, but it's just not yeah. maybe the best advice. So yeah, like you said, just learning that I also have the answers and obviously it's okay to not have the answers and ask for help. Right. But I think a lot of times what I've learned is sometimes I know the answer. I just don't want to actually Mm, yeah, listen to it. Of course, of course, (laughs) of course. We all get like that, don't we? Now, obviously, you've been very open about your story. You are such a champion of empowerment and recovery. What would you say to someone who, you know, is thinking about starting therapy, but they're on the Mm -hmm. fence about it? Mm. I would say first that it's so normal to feel nervous or hesitant or scared or just even not interested in starting therapy. I think healing isn't one size fits all. I also Mm -hmm. think there's so many barriers to finding a therapist. I know therapy is very expensive and it can also be really hard to find a therapist. There are therapists that aren't taking new patients. And so it can be very challenging. And, you know, even I know from 
a family member, you know, even when it's covered by insurance, they're still paying some stuff out of pocket. And yep. so I know that there are so many barriers and so many people can't afford it, which is just terrible. And I think that our system needs so much work Agreed. to, I mean, I think that mental health and anything medically related, it, it just, it's awful how expensive and not accessible it is. And it's really heartbreaking and it shouldn't be a privilege to be able to get therapy, but it is. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that recognizing that it's really scary and hard, as we talked about in the beginning, to find a new therapist. And sometimes, unfortunately, when you meet a therapist, it might not be a good fit. Yep. You know, I've started working with a new therapist before. Where it was our first session. And they started going into graphic detail about another person's Mm. sexual assault. And I'm like, and Aww. that was not at a point. And I'm still not at a point. I was like that. I was so triggered, but I was like, this is so odd yeah. and just so not. And I don't know, you know, if they were trying to see like how I would handle that, but that was just not, it just not was the not a good, needed. it was not a good fit. And so I think there are certain times where you work with someone and you're like, wow, this was just so not a good fit. And you have to listen to that as we talked about trusting yourself and your gut to know that if it doesn't feel like a right fit, you don't have to explain yourself. Even if you have someone else who sees the therapist and they say they're amazing, if you don't like them, even if you don't know why, that's okay. And yeah. I think you just have to find someone who understands you and will go at a pace that feels right for you. Because I think now that I'm older, I'm really, especially going into PTSD and the trauma treatment, I'm very like, I've been very clear that for me, when I'm really stressed, I can get really sick and, you know, I get like a lot of physical cool. symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so it's not something where I'm like, I just don't feel well for the afternoon. I mean, it can affect me for like weeks or even months of being re-triggered and traumatized yeah. and then I just don't feel well. Right. So I've been very clear that I want to push myself, but we have to do it at a pace that it needs to make sense. Because if we push myself yeah. too much, I don't want to like give up and not do it. Right. So I think that you have to find someone who respects what you're saying and is listening to you and wants to, of course, push you and challenge you, but also will understand if you are like, I'm really struggling. We need to take a step back. And then also I think sometimes it's hard is – it's just that if you do therapy once a week, but they're not giving you tools on those other six days and 23 hours, it's like sometimes that is really hard too, where I found in the past therapists that I saw, I was just talking to them the whole time. And now I'm like, I want like worksheets. I want you to give <laughs> me homework. like, yeah, I want homework. And some people might not want that, but I do because yeah. I feel better. And I want tools. I want certain things that will help me so that during the other days when I'm struggling, I can feel better. But someone might just want someone to talk to you. So it's like you have to find the right therapist for you. Yeah. And, you know, for example, if you're struggling with PTSD or trauma, seeing someone who doesn't specialize in trauma might be good for you or they might not be able to help you in the way that you need. Yep. And so, for example, also with the OCD stuff, if you're seeing someone who doesn't specialize in that, they might actually give you something that might make your OCD worse, not meaning to. Yeah. Like when I talked about the therapist before being like, oh yeah, just if you don't like that, you should just avoid it. Right. And now the two therapists are like, oh, that's fine that you did that at the time. But right. now we but have to now. like undo all of that. <laughs> yeah. And don't let your world get smaller. So you have to meet yourself where you're at. But just I would recommend finding a therapist who 
specializes in what you need. And I did yeah. not know that until last year. And I wish that there was more emphasis on that because it's not a one size fits all approach. Right. And, and so many therapists have just different specialties. Yes. Yeah. And I just didn't really, I guess, understand that or realize that. And so, yeah. And I think it's like at the time I probably needed to maybe, I don't know, maybe actually I would rather ask someone who's a specialist of like at the time years ago, was it better that I avoided certain stuff or right. should I have slowly started to not? I don't know. I definitely yeah. wasn't in that same place that I'm in now. I think mm -hmm. I have a little bit more of tools or more confidence in myself that being stressed out doesn't scare me as much because I'm like, okay, I can do five minutes of even stretching and just calm mm -hmm. myself down. Or I just feel like before I didn't know how to get myself out of feeling stressed. Yeah. Which takes time. Still learning though. Yeah. Listen, baby steps. Mm -hmm. You just got to take it a day at a time. Now, as a gymnast who has competed at the highest level, you're very familiar with our societal body standards mm -hmm. and the impact they can have on your mental health. Can you talk a bit about how that impacted your own mental health? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's something I still navigate, to be honest. I mean, from the age of I think right before I turned 15, so I was 14, that's really when I started to get pressure to lose weight. And when I was 14, 15, I mean, I was so, I, I, I was so tiny. Yeah. And it's pretty crazy for me to look back now that I'm out of it and I know better as an adult how messed up that is. But mm -hmm. it was so normalized. I think I was taught from such a young age that the thinner I was, that the better I would score. And mm -hmm. I just don't want young girls or boys to grow up and think that that's true because our nutrition and what we fuel our body with is so important and so crucial. And when I look back, when I was competing, I mean, I was so tired. I didn't really have a lot of energy. And it's because I was not eating as much as I should have. Mm -hmm. And there was so much pressure on us. And I can remember if I didn't do well at a competition, I remember my instant thought was it was because I wasn't thin enough. And that's because that's what the coaches and the gymnastics world made us believe. Yeah. So it was just ingrained in me from such a young age that if you don't, if you make a mistake at a competition, they made me believe it was because maybe it was because I ate a piece of bread the night before, or I ate something that I shouldn't have, or I drank too much water. It was just so oh my God, unhealthy. Too much water. Yeah, it was very, very unhealthy. And for anyone who's listening to this, I don't want anyone to misunderstand what I'm saying. And all of that is wrong. And I don't believe any of that. And I wish I had eaten more when I was competing so that I had more energy because having enough food and enough nutrition in our bodies is just so crucial, whether you're an athlete or not. Yeah. I mean, I really am very careful. You know, even before this interview, I made sure that I ate because even talking, you know, we need energy and we need to make yeah. sure that we're taking care of ourselves. So that is something that's totally affected me. I think when I was younger, it was, we were in a leotard. So it was like every single part of us I felt could be picked apart. And mm -hmm. I was always told I didn't have the right body for gymnastics. And so I think unlearning that, and I, it's been actually helpful where I try to, like, if I'm, I try not to, like, look at myself 
in the mirror and stare at myself. But if I do, it's like I have to pick out things that I like about myself or Mm -hmm. just like just be like look at myself and be like I think the body neutrality is so interesting and I'm very like fascinated by that. I think that's really cool. So I also just try to also think about that I'm grateful for my body and that it's gotten me this far in life. But it's definitely a work in progress. And I also think with social media, I mean, there's so much. We've grown up seeing so many like retouched images and so much stuff that really affects, I think, so many of our self-esteem. So it's a work in progress, but I definitely am proud of how far I've come. And I'm really grateful that I can look back and realize that that was wrong. I don't believe any of that. You know, when I was younger and it was all I ever knew, I think I felt a lot of shame or worried about if I gain weight. And now I'm just realizing that I want to be healthy. And I really try, even when I work out, I actually don't weigh myself at all. And this is something that's been helpful for me is even when I go to the doctor and they ask to weigh me, I just say, please don't tell me what I weigh. And that's just been helpful. And maybe my therapist will say that I'm avoiding it and that will be something. I'm sure I'll be doing this therapy (laughs) for a long time. But it's like, you can't fix everything today. But right now- I just say I don't want to know. I'm, I'm the same way. Yeah. And it's really just because I'm like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I just want to focus on how I feel. Right. But I would like, I'm kind of, now I'm actually going to bring that up to my therapist because I want to <laughs> just get to the point where it's like, I don't even, Right. I would love to get to the point where I don't care. And it's more about, do I feel healthy and do I feel good? And that's what's most important. So I really try to focus on that. But I mean, it. I would be lying if I said it's, it, I mean, it's, I don't know any female that doesn't struggle with body image, which is just awful. I think it's so common and I think so many of us worry about it. But also what helps me is nobody looks at us the way that we look at ourselves. Nobody notices anything that we worry about. So I also try to remember that. And also just, I also try to remind myself, you know, there's just like, at least for me, and it's such a fine line because I think there's so much going on in the world too, that I think that also helps me if I find myself, I'm like, if I'm worrying about something about my body or a pimple or something, I'm like, this is, I am grateful that this is my stress right now. And there's so (laughs) much going on in the world. And I also want to be careful because I don't want people who have body dysmorphia or eating disorders is so real. And I'm not making light of that at all. I don't want anyone to misunderstand what I'm saying. And that eating disorders is so severe and such a serious it is so serious. And it. I grew up actually with someone, unfortunately, who almost died from eating disorder. So I've seen firsthand just how yeah. dangerous it is. So yep. I'm not making light of it at all. I'm saying that if I am worrying about like a pimple, because of I've course. seen airbrush things in my life, I try to be like, okay, I'm so lucky that this is my stress right now when there's people right. who are right. dying You're all over the world. just putting things into perspective. Yeah. I'm trying to just focus on just being grateful for, you know, how far... I've come and also acknowledging the work that I have to do, but also mm-hmm. just being okay with that. I think life is a journey and yep. yeah. Absolutely. And also speaking of competition, there's an Olympics coming up next mm-hmm. year. Can you talk about some of the ways that you prioritized your mental health while you were competing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think I really understood maybe that I was prioritizing my mental health or I didn't really know how much I was struggling. I think it was just so 
I felt like I had to sweep it under the rug. And because there's only five gymnasts that make the Olympic team, I felt so nervous to say that I was anxious because I didn't want them to think that I wasn't going to be able to compete well. So Mm -hmm. it was really hard. I wish there was more emphasis on it. Yeah. And I'm glad it's becoming more normalized. We still have so much more to go. But I think that when I was younger, I actually, and I'm not just saying this because it's the Maybelline (laughs) podcast, but I actually feel like when I would get ready for meets, the two most like relaxing things were my skincare routine before bed and putting my makeup on before my competitions. Like that was a ritual I remember my teammates and I did together where we just would really relax and take our time together doing our makeup. And I remember it was so calming. And it's funny, my sister, Chloe, loves makeup so much. And she's 23. But I've watched as she's grown up. And like, even if she's not leaving the house, if she's anxious, she'll actually sit in her room and do her makeup. And I just, she takes her time. And it's like, meditative. I was about to say, it's kind of meditative for people. Yeah. And I just love how people can express themselves however they want. And it can be super relaxing whether or not you're leaving the house. It's really, I think what I love about makeup is there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's really Mm -hmm. however you feel good. And that was so relaxing for me. And I I just, I always loved the relaxing ritual of getting out of the shower, putting my skincare products on and just relaxing before bed. But I wish that I had more tools that I have now. Yeah. I think when I was younger, I guess it was more just preparing myself to the point where I felt so confident that I could look back with no regrets. So Mm -hmm. I think preparation also helped me with my mental health. And I think I take that in my life today of knowledge is power, where the more I can prepare myself or understand different things in my life, the more confident that I feel. I feel like I'm sure we all can relate if we show up somewhere and we're not prepared it doesn't feel good. So I like to try to be prepared. And I think that also helps me with my mental health, but then balancing it with like not stressing myself out so much. Yeah, for sure. And what is it like for you now since you've been retired for a while? Mm -hmm. And when it's an Olympic year, like, Mm -hmm. do you miss it? Are you tuning in? Do you talk to any Mm -hmm. of the girls who will be competing? Yeah. So I... I'm very close with Simone and I was just actually at her wedding in May, which was so beautiful. And I'm so happy for her and Jonathan. It was so much fun. It was just, it was amazing. And Simone and her teammates just competed at world championships and they just did incredible as an understatement. But yeah, I mean, I love being able to support them and watch them. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing to watch Simone come back because of everything that she's been through and how much she's overcoming. It's really inspiring and just really amazing. And I am happy for her because it also seems like she's really doing this for herself, which is really nice Mm -hmm. and just really special to see and to watch. And it's amazing just to watch her like continue to break so many records. I mean, she makes it look so easy and it's definitely (laughs) not, but you know, she obviously works so hard and puts so much into it that Mm -hmm. I just am very happy for her and I'm cheering her on. I will be very happy to be at the Olympics and watching. It will be, so I'm hoping to be there and watching. That's the plan right now. So I'm very excited, but I will not be competing and I'm very happy to not be competing. (laughs) Fair. But because it's in Paris, I'm like, okay, I would love to have just like a cappuccino or a latte with a croissant (laughs) and just watching the Olympics and relaxing. And yeah, I'm excited to cheer them on. It's just going to be so much fun and so cool. I mean, Paris is, I think it's just the most beautiful place. I love it. 
And I'm excited to cheer them on. And yeah, it's exciting. I mean, the men's gymnastics team is getting better and better too. And I know they don't get a lot of attention, but I'm excited (laughs) for them as well. And just to be able to cheer on all the athletes, the thing about the Olympics that's so cool is it just brings so many people together. And I also am excited. I think our world really needs more of that right now where there's so much divide and so much violence and horrific things going on that I hope that the Olympics can just bring people together. And I think it's a nice reminder that we're all human. And, you know, I think it's beautiful no matter where you come from, what country, you know, we're all just excited to watch amazing athletes compete. So yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm grateful for my time in gymnastics, but I just really value and appreciate the freedom. I feel like for the first time in my life, I can have a really good social life and I'm able to meet new friends. And yeah. so it's just very, it's very nice. I'm actually seeing Lori Hernandez tomorrow before mm-hmm. I leave. And so, yeah, I feel really grateful. I was at Jordan Weber's wedding in May as well. And then mm-hmm. like, I feel like I talked to Michaela Maroney all yeah. the time. <laughs> um, and then Kyla Ross is getting married next wow, summer. So I, I do, yes, so I do getting keep wiped in touch. Up. <laughs> I know I do keep in touch with them. And it's so nice to have those relationships and just see everyone that if people are still competing or just doing other stuff, it's really, it's very special and cool to see that we're all kind of in different places in our lives. Yeah. And we're still like, we always will have that special bond, which is really of course, nice. Of course. Can't break that bond. You kind of touched upon earlier, you know, the impacts of social media and obviously it can have a huge effect on people's Mm -hmm. mental health. What has your approach been to social media? Yeah, it's so interesting. It's such an interesting time, I think, in the world because there's, like I mentioned, there's so much going on. Mm -hmm. And I've also kind of started to notice, and I think this has been something in the last several years, I feel like, where I think it's been amazing to see so many athletes or celebrities speaking out about things that they're passionate about. And I also think because we live in this world where we can get free shipping and it comes the next day, (laughs) I've noticed that there are so many things I'm very passionate about and I want to speak up on. But if I don't speak up right as a headline comes out or right as something is happening, I've noticed that people misunderstand and misinterpret that I don't that you- care. And that's just so not the truth. And so it's I really think frustrating. That, I think that I wish there was more conversation around just because you see your favorite celebrity or an athlete or an influencer, or someone you follow that you might be disappointed they haven't said something, but that doesn't mean that they don't care. Right. And honestly, a lot of times for me, I am someone that if I'm really upset about something, whether it's my private life or publicly, if I'm writing an email to someone and I'm upset about something, I am not sending it within typing it within those first 10 minutes. Like I might sit on it for like a couple days or a week. And then after a week, I might still send it or I might change something or I might decide I don't want to send it because I might feel differently. You need time to process. Yes. I really try to not just shoot from the hip. And yeah, like, yeah. I really try to think <laughs> about things and really make sure because I also know I have a platform and I want to make sure whatever I say, I really stand by. And I also really understand what's going on mm-hmm. because I think a lot of people are very well intentioned and I am not perfect. So it's impossible. I think there's so many different ways of getting your the news and stuff where there's times where I've posted something and then been like, oh, I didn't see that other viewpoint and I didn't even realize. Like, So yeah. it's like that's why I also really am trying to be really mindful of 
when I say something and how I'm going to say something, but I just wish there was more conversation around just because someone hasn't said something yet. It doesn't mean they don't care. And also it's interesting. Like I've seen people sometimes say to other people or even myself, I never like hear about you donating to something. And I'm like that. Well, there's people who also donate privately. And someone once told me if you're doing something for the right reason, and like more than one person knows about it or more than the few people who need to know about it do, you're doing it for the wrong reason. And I actually really try to think about that and really be mindful of why I'm doing something. Yeah. And so I think the way I think social media has impacted me now is just being more mindful of what is the best thing that I believe I can do. Mm. And sometimes I notice like if I wait a couple of days to say something, people don't like that. But I'm trying, it's coming from a place of like, I really want to understand what's happening. And I really want to make sure that I also think it is such a disservice when people just post something to get it out there because they feel the pressure to. And so I think that I wish there was more conversation around that. And so I think that I'm just trying to balance. I definitely don't post as much as I used to just because it feels, I think also it's like there's so much going on in the world that I can't post a photo of my outfit. I don't care. No one cares. It's not important. (laughs) And I think that I've struggled lately with the balance of how can I post a photo of me having fun with my friends when like people are dying and suffering. And so I think it's, it's definitely something that I think about a lot with trying to use my platform for good. But also I want it to come across like I'm really care and being mindful and making sure that I'm understanding what I'm saying or what I'm supporting. But I do wish there was more conversation around that. And I think it's also important, like I'm not perfect and I don't know. There are so many things that are in the world that I don't understand that I'm trying to learn about. Yeah, And we can't expect, just like I can't expect, that would be absurd if I was like every celebrity, every athlete has to know everything about sexual abuse. And I don't know everything about it. I'm just speaking from experience. But like, we have to realize that I like to think most people are passionate about some things and that most people really care and want to have an impact. And I think sometimes I just wish there was more conversation around, you know, sometimes people, yeah, yeah, sometimes people need more time to really think about what they want to say and their silence doesn't mean they're being silent. Right. Because they might be checking in with people. They might be more affected by something than you realize. Yeah. They might be dealing with a family member who passed away. Like we have no idea what people are going through. Never. And so, I just have noticed that a lot lately with just the pressure. And just because someone isn't saying something right away, it doesn't mean they don't care. It doesn't mean they're not donating. It doesn't mean they're not trying to do. Sometimes I think the people who are more silent, depends on the situation, actually are the ones where I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, you're really taking the time to like really think about this. Yeah. And you're really educated on this and yeah. you're really, so it's very interesting that right. that fine line, I think that I sometimes am trying to figure out how to yeah. navigate because there's really no right or wrong way. No, Of course. Yeah. I think it's also a lot of times being a person on social media, you also either sort of get backed into a corner or there's this sort of like you're damned if you do and damned if you don't situation where, yeah, maybe you did say something quickly, but yeah, you hadn't taken the time, but there's this pressure of people wanting you to say something. And so you just say something to get it out. And yeah, it can be really difficult to navigate. That's for sure. Yeah. I think I also feel like 
people on social media I see notice that too. They also, I think that people want real and authentic and they notice and they get annoyed if someone puts something out too quickly, you know? Mm-hmm. And I and I mean, again, I'm not perfect. There are certain things where I'm like, oh, I wish I said that differently. I think also in our society, we don't allow people to be like, I actually feel a little bit differently about this now and I wanted to change yes. this. And, yeah. you know, a few months ago I said this, but I actually have learned more and I want to change it to this. Right. And obviously there's different variations, but I just don't think we allow people to like grow. And, and like change their opinion on yes, something. <laughs> yes. So, so I think it's just very, very interesting. And I'm trying, I'm really trying to have conversations with people who, are actually the ones who are like working for these incredible organizations around the world who are really doing amazing, impactful things and Mm -hmm. just trying to learn from them and seeing what is the best thing. And also recognizing kind of bringing myself back down to earth is like what I say isn't going to change something, but it's the balance of, is there something I can do that will help? And if not, what's the best thing for me to do? So it is just that it's a very interesting world that we that yes. we live in. And I think social media can be really powerful and really good. I just think, I think a lot of people feel alone. A lot of people are suffering too. And so people just want to feel validated heard and, and heard, seen. which I understand. Yeah, absolutely. Something else that I really wanted to talk to you about is you wrote a children's book, which is so exciting. Thank Congrats. Thank you. Tell us about how that came about. What was the writing mm-hmm. process like? Yeah. So it's interesting when you were talking about like trusting yourself and knowing mm-hmm. you have the answers. That's kind of one of the themes of the book. It's called From My Head to My Toes. And Brittany Jackson, she did the illustration and it's just amazing. And I'm very grateful for everyone that was involved in putting this together. We worked with Darkness to Light and the Monique Burr Foundation, and they're the experts in preventing child sexual abuse. And Mm. so I really wanted to make sure that we were working with people who do this day in and day out, because although I have, you know, experience of being a survivor, I wanted to really make sure that my experience is obviously not the only experience. And there's so many people out there who are going through so many different things. And so I wanted to be a part of prevention and education. And it was interesting. I actually made a new friend yesterday and she has a really cute three-year-old and then she was playing with a two-year-old and the two-year-old really wanted to give the three-year-old a hug when they were leaving. And it just really made me happy watching this because this was kind of like what my children's book is about. Mm -hmm. And the two-year-old wanted to give the three-year-old a hug and the three-year-old didn't want to give the hug. And both moms were like, that's okay. You don't have to give her a hug. And they said to the two-year-old, she doesn't want to give her a hug. And then the mom said to the three-year-old, do you want to give her a high five? And the three-year-old said no. And so her mom was like, okay, well, it would be really nice if you could just acknowledge that you, you know, just say bye. And so then the three-year-old waved and it was just really cool to see that both moms, it was like this, I don't know, maybe they've talked about it before, but they were both just so on the same page with teaching yeah. their daughters that like, oh, okay, your friend doesn't want to give you a hug. That's okay. Right. Do you feel comfortable just acknowledging that you had a good time with her and saying goodbye, but you don't have to touch her or anything? Yeah. And it was just, I was just, I said to both of them, I was like, it's so interesting because like we grew up being like, no, no you, you have, have to hug. To. Th- yeah, you have to have hug to. this person. And so- <laughs> The book has different things where it's like there's a character in the book that doesn't want to hug someone and so mm-hmm. they don't have to. Yeah. And just teaching kids body autonomy and recognizing that how to trust themselves with simple things. Like, you know, if they feel cold, they can ask for a sweatshirt or if they want to 
be cozy. They can snuggle with their favorite stuffed animal. Just teaching kids how to slowly start to identify what to ask for and trusting themselves. And it was really an incredible experience. And I hope that it helps start the conversation with kids and parents. And there's also back matter if the parents want to learn more about prevention and education. But growing up, I didn't feel like it was a conversation in my life around education and prevention. I didn't really understand what abuse was or anything like that besides stranger danger, which is still very important. But stranger danger happens about 10% of the time. And that's still very important to teach kids about. Mm -hmm. But 90% of the time, abuse occurs with a trusted adult. So I didn't know that. And so I just wanted to do something that would hopefully, even if it helps one kid be saved from being abused, I mean, that would mean so much to me. Hopefully it just helps have more conversations and normalize it because I think that the more we normalize it, the more people that can be protected and be saved from being abused. But I think that hopefully also it can be, you know, for so many people, unfortunately, there's so many survivors of abuse out there. So hopefully for if a survivor is picking up the book and reading it to a child, it's also kind of helping them feel more in control of their own experience Mm because it's like hopefully they're helping change it for the child they're reading it for. And, you know, I'm not saying my book is like going to prevent anything, but the hope is that it just helps educate and equip kids with tools that if something unfortunately does happen, they're able to feel comfortable trusting that something isn't right and talking about it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a very important and much needed book. Allie, it's been so great catching up with you and having you here today. I'm so thankful for your honesty and your vulnerability. But before I let you go, do you have any parting advice for Mm. our audience? Ooh, yes. I think get real and honest with yourself about what's stressing you out. And Mm. as hard as it is, whether it's talking to a therapist or finding a support system, I think that's so important start to try not to avoid it. And I know that's so hard and it's so easier (laughs) said than done. But whether that is like you're stressed about your finances, whether that's you're stressed about you're struggling with trauma, there's so many different things. But I think going to someone and talking about it, it's so important, even though it's so hard. But I think that we won't regret starting to go on the path towards working on ourselves. And I know that can be really scary and really hard, but I believe truly knowledge is power. Um, Whether that is learning more, I say finances, because I know that's such a huge stress for so many people. Mm -hmm. I think most people. And so I think the more that you learn, the more that we're not afraid to ask questions. I think asking questions is really important and can not only help us I always say asking questions could help keep you safe. You know, if you're mm-hmm. nervous that someone's hurting you or you're suspicious about something, asking questions could help keep you safe or someone else safe. But then I also think whether it's you're in school, asking questions can help you learn more. And I think knowledge is truly power, whether it's protecting ourselves or learning more about how to give us better tools to live the life that we want. So I know that was kind of like scrambled together and there was a lot there, but I think asking questions and getting real with yourself and really starting to begin the journey of working on what feels uncomfortable and scary. And if, like I said, if it's not your own therapy, maybe you feel really good, but you're really stressed about something that has to do with your home or your sister or a relationship with your family member or your partner, 
Maybe it's something you're nervous to raise your hand in math class or you're nervous about your finances. I think really taking a look at that and being like, okay, how can I go from zero and go to just taking that first step forward? And Mm -hmm. how can I have the courage to start that? Because I think the more that we can dig into what's stressing us out, it's freeing and then we'll be more confident. Then that kind of transfers into other things where you feel more confident Mm -hmm. in other areas of your life. So hopefully that made sense. I know that was... Yeah, a lot, but yeah. hopefully that makes sense. Just taking a moment to self-examine. Yeah. Thank you again Thank you. so much, Allie. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I want to give a huge thank you to Allie for coming on the show today and giving us an update on her therapy journey and how she's approaching her mental health. And remember, we're here to provide access to mental health resources and support those who need it most. For more information, visit Maybelline.com slash Brave Together. And don't forget to make sure you're subscribed to I'm Fine, You. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and tell us what you like. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and this has been I'm Fine, You, presented by Maybelline, New York.